be in touch. Having taken in the further news that Mr. Mansour was no longer to be found at his East Hampton residence, which he had abandoned to the more recent of his two wives, Schmidt wrote down the unlisted number. Not to worry, he would keep it to himself. Ah, the Crusell house on Flying Point Road in Watermill? Yes, he knew how to find it all right. Yes, and find memories in that house as well that the visit might endow with a new meaning not untinged with new bitterness. But he saw no point in mentioning that to Mr. Mansour so early in the morning. The original owners of the house in question, Mr. and Mrs. Crusell, had been important clients of Wood and King, the firm where Schmidt had been a partner until he retired. A trusts and estates colleague, Murphy, took care of them just as he watched over the modest affairs of Schmidt and his late wife, Mary. But Schmidt, who specialized in representing insurance companies in the loans they made, was usefully situated, in a manner of speaking, as the Crusell's neighbor who knew them socially. It fell upon him, therefore, to be the firm's unofficial emissary, charged with maintaining and developing them as clients, through more frequent and more assiduous attendance at their lunches and dinners than would have otherwise been his style." Occasionally, as though leading a great war charge à outrance, he had gone so far in his devotion to professional duty as to propel a giggling and squealing Olga Crusell into the surf and hold her up with both hands while she bobbed in the unthreatening breakers. These exploits established in the Crusell household his reputation for gallantry and limitless strength as a swimmer. They also gave the authority of revealed truth to his occasional off-hand assurances that his partner Murphy knew what he was doing and could be relied upon. Schmidt was pleased to recall that the house, of which Mr. Mansour was now the owner, was one of the few subjects about which the Crusells had not asked his opinion. A prize-winning Brazilian architect, a friend of a niece of the Crusells, had designed it. He had come out with her for a Fourth of July weekend, and stayed in the large clappered cottage that then stood on the site, and that had been the Crusell's beach house ever since they came to the Hamptons. Sizing up the opportunity for new business, the large fortune, although discreet, was hardly unknown to connoisseurs of such matters, he made a rapid drawing of what he would, if the property were his, put in the place of their current dowdy home." a large, loosely flowing aquatic structure corresponding to Olga Crusell's inner self, with reception rooms and decks for entertaining in full view of the ocean and Meacock's Bay, between which this astonishing acreage was located. Olga took the bait. For a Swiss banker, whose family had been since the days of Calvin a pillar of Geneva's patriciate, Jean Crusell was a prodigy of speed when he really wanted to make up his mind. Besides, he doted on his wife. The decision to go ahead was made on the spot without so much as a call to Murphy or Schmidt or Olga's pet decorator. The cottage was torn down during one terrifying week, but construction of the new house dragged on. Getting it finished and moving in turned into the Crusells' race against senility and death. The old couple won the first leg. Before the platoon of round-the-clock keepers and nurses had to be brought in, they did have two years' worth of showing off at party after party the Brazilian's construction, which, in Schmidt's opinion, but perhaps he was unfair having grown to like a good deal the unmourned old cottage, 
resembled nothing more than a motel, crossed with an ocean liner a drunken skipper had carelessly run aground on the beach. Jean and Olga were childless. The collateral heirs owned perfectly adequate summer houses nearby and elsewhere. They put the property on the market and waited for years, unwilling, in the way of the very rich, to lower the asking price. That an even wealthier new man had at last put cash into the heirs' pockets and, presumably, stood ready to pour more millions into this raped dune was bound to be a very good thing for the local contractors and for tradesmen in New York, London, and Paris. Perhaps for the economy worldwide. Schmidt imagined that Mr. Mansour had already excised various sly improvements Jean Crusel made as soon as the Brazilian, busy with commissions for other masterpieces, had turned his back. Remote control switches that made the Venetian blinds in the bedrooms go up and down, and devices that adjusted slats without human intervention.